Check, check, check. This is a check. Uh, this is Val Hughes. And uh, once again, I find myself having to record a show without Vern. Uh, and uh, listen, I won't get into all the logistics. Um, it's my fault, honestly, if you want to just get right down to it. And uh, it's because my travel schedule's picked up. And. Uh, you know, the technology for Vern and I to do the show remotely, well, it weighs a lot, and so I don't like lugging it around, and um, and so, uh, you know, what am I going to do? I'm left with um, weak technology, but still a will to do the show. So, there you have it. The value, guys with just one guy this week, Val Hughes. Okay, so um, normally um, I like to go in page number order, and I'm just going to get right to it this week. I mean, there's no fun banter because there's no Vern. And, um, and so, uh, you know, what am I going to do? I just am um, doing the show uh, myself, evidently. So, um, all right, let me just check and see if that worked. Okay, so evidently that worked, and I'm just checking. I Once again, I'm recording on my uh, iPhone. That's not a plug, just a reality, and it seems to be working just fine. Uh, okay, so let me, uh, let's see, I'm all out of order here. Okay, uh, let me do the uh, beginning of the show. Uh, this is another edition of the Value Line Observer with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes, and we are 25-year Wall Street veterans who have changed our voices, taken on secret identities, and gone underground to bring you our candid views on a handful of stocks out of each week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unvarnished views on the air. So we disguise our voices, and they'll never know. This week, we look at the October 2nd, 2009 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey, which at this point was several days ago. So again, my apologies. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going off the prices on the Value Line sheets, which you know are a week early, and now it's the next Monday, so they're way out of whack. I think the market was generally down last week from the Monday price, and it was up a bit today. So, um, you know, maybe they're, they're ballpark. Um, this week we look at uh, a bunch of packaging companies. And I will say I went through the entire issue um, because I just, I was a little bored this afternoon and went through them. And it was a bunch of stuff that to me looked overpriced. It was a bunch of home builders and I own one, MDC, the earnings are not quite there. These things are trading at pretty high multiples um, because of the expectation that business is coming back next year. And for a lot of businesses, I'm sure that's going to be true, certainly in um, you know a lot of consumer uh, non-discretionary and that sort of thing. Needs not wants is obviously coming back and it never was gone. But in home building, one of the problems, I think, is simply that, um, yeah, the recession's over and all that, but balance sheets are impaired. So I'm looking at a $14 trillion economy, 
and the credit is simply not where it was and I did an exercise again a year ago this is way out of date but it looked to me like um, you know if uh, if you're gonna impair the available credit on the GDP by um, even 10 percent uh, so I think it took about um, uh, roughly seven trillion a year in new credit now there were uh, pay downs as well to offset that to fuel that 14 trillion dollar economy and I'm just looking at the data that's at the Federal Reserve on some of this and I'm not an economist but um, when you look at the likelihood that um, a lot of that credit is simply not going to be there in the sense that balance sheets at banks have been harmed uh, credit scoring has gotten tougher and you know you're going to have to begin to report income and things like that in order to get a loan so all that if you take um, let's say two trillion that'd be maybe a, less than a third twenty percent of the new um, credit out of the economy so let's say that's uh, uh, you know worth ten times that in terms of the wealth that it was fueling behind that um, so, you know, you're looking at something on the order of uh, a year's worth of GDP that, now, of course, the value of America is many times one year's GDP, and we could debate that, but, um, you know, you're looking at, in, in my view, and very simplistically, obviously, one year GDP sort of missing, and that's going to have to come out of GDP growth over many years. I mean, it could be and this is all nominal as well we could inflate our way out of this so but you could have a couple percentage points three percentage points nominal two percentage points um, you know remains to be seen uh, of growth coming out of GDP for some period of, of many years as you uh, reflect the reduced purchasing power based on uh, less credit in the marketplace so if any economists are listening you know, please uh, refute all that so I can be educated. Val at thevalueguys.com. But because of that, I'm not that excited about the home builders, I guess. And they're all trading at about 40 times earnings, or in some cases, um, you know, well over one time sales, which when an industry is so beat up as home builders and they're trading at over one time sales, you know, in a, in a universe that I need to winnow down, I just pass. I mean, that's the beauty of being a value investor. If it's too expensive, I don't need to know anything else. I just move along, and, uh, you know, you don't have to swing at that one. That's the way I look at it. Uh, I also, there were a bunch of power companies, and we were actually talking about that industry uh, early in the year when, you know, uh, the pundits believed that the economy was simply going to cease uh, operating. Uh, but they've all run now, you know. Um, and again, there was a way to invest in this area of the fear that nothing was going to return, and we had some of those recommendations, as others did, um, but I think that play is a little bit over now, so the fear play, there's still a little bit of it around, but I think that's ma mainly over, and if you look at the value indices, I mean, it's been in a stellar year for the kinds of things that got low price to book ratios because those are the kinds of stocks that end up in the Russell value indices that's just a basically a sort on price to book um, so um, 
you know, that's worked. And I think now you got to have stuff that really there might be a little bit of fear left, but, you know, you're really looking for guys that are building value um, in what's apt to be a sluggish uh, economy. So given that uh, little rant, and it can get way worse. That's not even a rant. I've only had uh, one adult beverage. It usually a rant usually is, takes three adult beverages to really get into. Um, and I don't have the uh, benefit this week again. Bad technology. I don't have the benefit this week of, of of the actual index since I was doing this on my computer. And I just printed the stocks I'm going to talk about. So again, bare bones this week with the value guys. So, again, I'm going in uh, alphabetical order, as I did last time, Vern, who was not here. And this week, I think, al- actually, alphabetical order might be page number order as well, because I've chosen three companies in the packaging area. And to sort of complete my random thoughts, um, it's the one area of this week's issue that seemed like it had some value, where um, PEs were actually still reasonable and cash flow multiples and things like that and the market hadn't gotten all ahead of itself in terms of thinking this area has already recovered <clears throat> when in fact it, it has not they're all off the lows though there's nowhere to look for stocks that uh, you know got beat up in the crash because they've all traced back uh, pretty much of the decline uh, and so I would say that uh, just like a few weeks ago, this week I have a couple stocks that Value Line likes very much too as momentum plays because they're coming off these lows that I won't uh, expect to see again until all the banks and all the world markets freeze up again. Which, you know, even saying that when you go tell your kids that or their grandkids, they're going to go, oh, that couldn't have happened. Well, um, that's what I thought until this happened that. The 30s was like that, that it could never happen. So um, these are special times, and uh, stocks have recovered off those uh, scary lows, but there's still some value. So with that as an interlude, I've just burned a lot of your time, so I apologize. But let me get to three ideas this week. Um, I haven't done a ton of uh, homework. Oh, my. In fact, on two of them, I really haven't done any. But... I'm just forging ahead. We're out of time. You know, the value guys has to keep to a schedule, and so I'm doing that. First up, Ball Corp, B-L-L. I have no idea the page number, but it's in the packaging section, Ball Corp. Um, What I'm attracted to on this one right off, excuse me, is that it's 12.6 times earnings, uh, which is, uh, according to Value Line, a 28% discount from the average PE. It's also with, you know, projected cash flow per share of 735 next year. It's about uh, seven times that number, which we don't get that in cash. So you got to look a little further, but it's a good place to start in terms of a gross cash flow multiple. Um, What does Ballcorp do? They manufacture metal and plastic packages. It's 90% of their sales. They don't actually have that uh, glass container business that you may know them for, for home canning. They sold that a long time ago. But they do industrial packaging. And the thing about industrial packaging is that there's a safety element and a freshness element that really 
uh, can make or break the value of the product that's being packaged and therefore if you're really good at it you know it's not a commodity uh, there's technology involved in keeping the products safe and fresh um, as they get to market and so that has value these guys have put up uh, for, for what you might think is a volatile business in terms of end market sales for goods they put up a very consistent return on capital going way back um, it's not super but that's the cost of probably the stability is keeping out competitors um, with a uh, you know pricing structure that uh, it creates a, a formidable barrier to entry uh, in the sense that they're earning low teens on capital which uh, again at their at their size seven billion in sales it's not like somebody's gonna start a company and compete so that's a pretty effective barrier and their operating margin you know again low teens so my suspicion here is you've got this comfortable oligopoly where everyone knows what they all do well it's hard you can't possibly have a new entrant in the uh, in the business and so it's all very comfortable uh, they leverage up a little bit um, you know they're five times coverage five times their interest is earned in operating income and their operating margin is so stable that if I were a banker looking at their financials I would be very comfortable that um, their balance sheet is not over leveraged and uh, the risk of default on any of their debt is very low so I don't see an interest uh, rate here um, but uh, let's see long-term interest 131 million long-term debt 2 billion so I'm just back of the envelope that looks like around 5% a little above that so you know that's not too bad um, in terms of a cost of a component of your capital and it allows the equity holder to get into the mid-twenties on equity and these are recession years a couple years ago um, you know they were in the thirties at peak and that tells you something about the nature of their business whether it's the stability that allows you to have the leverage that leads to that return on equity is um, you know sometimes a part of the story that people uh, overlook also you know they're wise users of capital one way they keep their high returns on capital is they don't just spend capital capex for no reason which some companies do and they begin to erode their returns these guys don't when they don't have a use for capital they buy shares they've uh, in 2003 the share count was 112 million now it's 92 million and again you know what's that a quarter of the float over a eight-year period pretty good when I look back over time again 12 times earnings value line does not particularly do a good job of uh, they do have statistics going back a ways but they don't do a particularly good job with valuation statistics and so all you have if you're just looking at value line which is what I am doing right now uh, all you have is relative PE and average PE okay so let's try to use those numbers that uh, they're at a 0.72 relative PE right now 72% of the market PE and when I look back over the history uh, of their relative PE measure in value line um, that would be a low uh, and that is the low looking back 0.72 which was achieved in 2003 and 2004 so what does that tell me um, well that's the low in terms of uh, averages because I get one number for the whole year so if that's a true distribution 
it means half the time I'm going to be below this, half above that, but in the worst year for relative PE. The best it gets in the last 10 years is sort of upper 80s. And again, these are so rudimentary, I'm surprised Value Line doesn't do a little more detail in this area. But um, even using these numbers, I can tell you right now that, or, or project, again, entertainment purposes only, I may have forgotten some of our normal caveats, so if you've already heard them, it just means I went back and inserted them into the show. Otherwise, my attorneys are going to call me up and be upset. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But in any case, what I can surmise in an entertaining sort of way here is that um, half the time the relative PE is above this. This is how averages work. And then I might surmise that from here, revenue growth is going to be okay because we're in a recovering economy and the natural direction is up. Remember, population growth times productivity growth is growth in uh, world GDP. So if you think either of those numbers are going down, you know, maybe you want to back away right now. But this particular company, I think, uh, seems pretty dialed into the packaging needs and to the extent that things need packaging. Now, I do know that services, of course, in the advanced economies uh, don't need packaging necessarily, but a lot of services come with packaged doodads and such. So, I mean, I think the packaging guys, to the extent that a good package is marketing, you know, they kind of... Are involved, and the stability of this particular company and some of their competitors, two others of which I'm recommending today as well, suggests that it's going to be a pretty good business uh, for many years. Um, um, according to Value Line, business is, and I'm just, I really haven't done much work this week, so I'm just glancing through here, but business is pretty good. Um, let's see, things are a little slow in Europe. I mean, look, the stability of their numbers speaks for itself. Pricing remains sound. And, of course, when you get into issues of, um, you know, uh, package uh, as, as, a, as a tool of safety or freshness or some product feature that the package itself is enhancing, uh, marketing or attraction of some measure, then, of course, you're going to have good pricing. You're just going to take your share of the value, and that's why their returns are good. Um, Ball is continuing to solidify their operations. Value Line is raising estimates. So, you know, this is rated too by Value Line, so they like it too. I like it, which again, it's the momentum that gets Value Line and me on the same page during this period. Um, that's it. Ball, B L L. I don't know the page number. Check it out. Next up, Bemis. B. MS, don't know the page number. Sorry about that. This one is also a packaging company, and it's got many of the same attractions as Ball uh, in terms of stability, and their margin is right in the same ballpark around, um, you know, low teens and such. They're not as big. They're half the size, $3.6 billion in sales. Ball has 7.4. That might help explain why their return on capital is 10% instead of uh, balls 12%. Okay. And then they don't lever themselves quite as much. Ball is 61% debt to cap, which I suggest is still well covered because of the operating margin and their interest rate is low enough so that that creates a nice coverage. Uh, in this one, their debt to cap is 27%, so their coverage is about nine times. So again, you don't have much to worry about 
on that front. Um, the 10, 9, 10 percent return on capital versus balls 12, 12 and a half percent. Again, I'm not a student of these companies so much as I'm just reading value line here after work. But my guess would be that's an economies of scale issue in terms of ball being twice the size of Bemis. Now, Bemis, they do something a little different. Uh, they are a major manufacturer of flexible packaging products and pressure sensitive materials. So they do high barrier um, polyethylene and paper. So uh, that seems pretty technical. Primarily serving food and they do 36% uh, internationally. So, hmm, that seems like a, a pretty high-level use, uh, and again, just after work, but my guess is they have pretty good pricing power as well. Um, what I'm attracted to here is also, um, you know, a reasonable multiple for a very stable, um, you know, growth rate and return um, characteristic, and you know, I like there's a little yield here, 3.4%, whereas Bemis, I'm sorry, this is Bemis Ball, you know, pays me 0.8, so that's not much. I do like, a, you get a little better balance sheet here. That undoubtedly is why you're paying up a little bit for it. It's, it's, it's safer than, uh, than Ball on that measure, but if they're both safe, what's safer? So, you know, if they're both safe, I, I don't know that you need safer. In that case, Ball would be the, the pick. Um, it looks like they are uh, on an enterprise value to EBITDA basis, 2.9 billion in market cap, 600 million. That's three five. Again, not much cash, and you got here a uh, 400. So this one again, a little more expensive on an enterprise value to EBITDA basis. That's going to be about nine, eight to nine times. So. Um, for my money, um, I like I prefer ball. Bemis though pays you a little yield if you need cash right now. Um, it has not recovered quite as much, so conceivably, I mean it's it's a bit more stable historically, um, and it's been you know not in a growth mode the way ball has. So maybe there's some risk in that regard in the case of ball that the the growth stops but that's incorporated in the valuation so it's a very interesting compare contrast it strikes me that ball's got economies of scale that gives them the confidence to lever up a little more um, Bemis does not but they pay out a little more they don't have room evidently to grow capacity or reinvest in the business with them paying out uh, basically half of earnings that's their payout ratio uh, 90 cent dividend on a buck sixty in earnings it's, it's it's higher than that it's seventy sixty percent um, whereas um, ball uh, earns uh, this year four bucks pays out forty cents so with their returns on capital stable that means ball continues to find investment opportunities and um, and Bemis on the other hand uh, does not how very interesting Bemis's capital spending peaks out three or four years ago at a buck seventy buck fifty a share now down to a buck ball um, their peak was three oh five but they're right now projected for next year to be a two seventy so that suggests to me again from 
30,000 feet, you obviously have to read about these things and go look at the 10K at Edgar or buy Edgar Pro for 100 bucks. It's a great deal. You get all the filings. I use that uh, personally and at work. But, um, you know, it suggests that uh, Ball is on to something in terms of some niche because incremental returns remain in the upper, you know, low, low teens and their incremental returns on equity are in the 20s. Bemis has cut back their capital spending. Their return on capital is sluggish. So, hmm, I might be talking myself out of Bemis. But that just tells you about this week's issue. It wasn't great. So anyway, Bemis, uh, in a portfolio of packaging, I'd buy it. But otherwise, I guess I'm not liking it that much. Bemis. All right. Finally... A stock I've never heard of, and it's a very unusual stock for me to like, in part because the chart is so strong, and while I'm not a technician by any means, um, if something's going up for a while, it strikes me there's a lot of, you know, a, a lot of, you know, uh, basically uh, expectations of growth that probably are over, you know, overbought at that point. This one is 10 times earnings, and earnings have been growing very rapidly. Uh, returns on capital have been growing while earnings are growing. So, again, they're really on to something here. They do packaging. All the stocks I'm doing this week are packaging. And they do paperboard, container board, consumer and corrugated packaging, and merchandise displays. Second largest producer of clay-coated recycled paperboard and the second largest manufacturer of folding cartons. Just reading what ValueLine says. Um, in the last couple years, they've put on a lot of uh, incremental return on capital in 2009, and it's late in the year, so these ValueLine estimates must be decent. Um, an increase from 7% last year to 11%, that's a lot. And then on to 12% next year, and I mean, for an analyst to be forecasting an increase in this environment, I don't know Mr. Uh, Craig Sirois, who wrote this week's uh, commentary here, or presumably these are his projections, but I think he's got to have some confidence based on something for, uh, for that to be showing a sequential increase. You've got m operating margins jumping a lot here as well, and um, basically, let's see, well, he probably writes about it, I probably should read, read. Yeah, this is just... It's just after hours, ladies and gentlemen. That's why I haven't read this that carefully. Okay, they have, they've made an acquisition a couple, a uh, year and a half ago. They're probably reaping economies of scale right now. That's why they're able to show these gains in a down market. They improved their gross margin in the June quarter by 800 basis points. Holy cow. So they're undoubtedly keeping the business they bought in terms of the sales and they're shutting down a bunch of the facilities and reducing their cost structure. And then also, um, and this probably facing the other companies I talked about today as well, are facing reduced natural gas prices, which is a big cost of uh, paper production, of course, and they're getting the margin benefit associated with that. And they're announcing paper price increases because some people in this industry are still remembering the inflationary trends of last year. People may still be just getting price increases that are you know, still rolling through. Uh, at this point. Um, their balance sheet is not 
super great. Uh, it's 64% debt to cap, and their coverage, according to Value Line, uh, is 3.8 times. But, you know, I might have a little different calculation than Value Line does simply because uh, I'm going to take, well, I'm going to round 20% of $2.8 billion as an EBITDA margin. And again, we learned a few weeks ago by one of the analysts' commentary that this operating margin that Value Line reports really is an EBITDA margin, um, whereas for uh, many companies, some of that DNA uh, comes out uh, below the line in the case of Value Line. Um, I mean, above the line, in the case of value line, it comes out below the line. For example, some depreciation ends up in um, cost of goods sold, some in SG&A and things like that. Value line, in the way companies tend to report, value line splits that out afterwards. So if I can take 20% on $2.8 billion, that's 56, or rather $560 million. And the long-term interest here, long-term debt is a billion four, which total debt's not much more and they're showing long-term interest of 93 million so I might look at that as five times or something like that they're reporting three times and I'm sure that's because they're looking at a pre-tax number instead of an EBITDA number um, and, and that's all fine but it appears that at 10 times earnings the market at this point is not pricing in the likely continuation of these cost cuts into the future as economies recover and the uncertainty of the revenue stream might clear up a little bit. Um, evidently management is uh, improving the balance sheet. They're paying down debt and uh, looks like they have a commitment to uh, keep that margin improvement as a result of the synergies of this acquisition. Uh, on track. Value Line is showing they're going to grow earnings at 24%, which seems too high to forecast, frankly, for me. You don't need that much to make this a buy. It probably incorporates some of the cost savings that are coming out. So you're basically from a low base showing a compound growth rate that reflects that big 800 basis point improvement in gross margin that we're just talking about. Officers and directors here own 9%. That's a lot. Uh, so, again, I never heard of this. That doesn't mean anything. Uh, according to Value Line, the, the data starts in 94. Could have been a spin out then or a startup. You know, I don't know. With this type of name, um, you know, Rock 10, I mean, that doesn't sound like a spin out. Probably a merger long ago and then went public. But they're putting up pretty good returns, particularly in the last two years. Margins have improved a lot. Uh, undoubtedly, it's a market where. Um, you know, c continued uh, consolidation is helping the winners, and that's the case with these guys. The stock's up a lot, but, you know, I'm not going to let that bother me. In this case, 10 times earnings seems like a perfectly good price to pay if you believe that's sustainable, and to me it looks like it is. So uh, those are my uh, three stocks this week, Val Hughes. And um, listen, I think uh, next week Vern's back. And so um, we'll look forward to talking with you then. My favorite stock this week has got to be Ball Corp, in part because I've heard of it, and Rock 10 I haven't, but Rock 10 is probably worth a look as well. So Val Hughes signing off with Value Line Observer, and we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye-bye.